Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 286 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Jason Sweat. Hello. Jerome Hardaway. Hey, hey, hey. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Just a quick uh, shout out. I have next year's conferences up, so you can go check them out at devchat.tv slash conferences. Uh, calls for proposals are open on most of them, too. Uh, we have a special guest this week, and that is Sam Joseph. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going well. Do you want to give us a brief introduction who you are? Sure. I, I guess I'll say I generally talk too much, so you know, feel free to cut me off as soon as I'm not being brief. Um, who am I? I guess my background comes from largely from education and academia. Um, I have been very involved in the agile development using Ruby on Rails uh, MOOC or Massively Open Online class for the last four or five years uh, with uh, Amanda Fox and David Patterson from uh, UC Berkeley, uh, and that's available through the edX platform. And I'm sort of a co-instructor with them. I have a kind of honorary position at the Hawaii Pacific University. I taught uh, computer science online for them for a, a long time. Um, I've also been, um, I kind of, I've managed a boot camp uh, in, in London. Um, and right now I'm spending all my time on this uh, Agile Ventures charity, which is all about kind of creating uh, pro pro open source projects that will work with charity cu customers and clients uh, and sort of get people together as like, get away from artificial learning and really kind of learn things in in context and you know I, i'm kind of my background goes back to i have a phd in uh, cognitive science i'm like being interested in ai all these things i mean i'm just i'm kind of interested in learning and programming and coding i've been doing rails since like 2006 was it goodness me yeah and uh, it's all kind of come to a head here in this can we do like completely in the mix real learning with you know with real charities online with people around the world nice so it that's what Agile Ventures is, right? So it's it's working with charities, doing open source work. Do you kind of want to explain how that all operates? Sure. Yeah. So the mechanism that it operates through the two the two key technologies that we use are, are Slack and, and Hangouts. Um, it sort of all came about off the back of this um, massively open online class, Agile development using Ruby Rails or engineering software as a service as was. And um, I took a big inspiration from uh, the professors there at UC Berkeley. In their live face-to-face -face classes, they were doing uh, this sort of charity projects thing. And they were, you know, they're teaching about the agile process of agile project developments in their class. And to have the students put it into practice, they would get them together, you know, about 50 different project groups, 50 different charities, and, you know, build real stuff for, for, real, for real people. And uh, it was really impressive. And I was like, wow, and the MOOC comes online. And we'll be able to do that with people from around the world. And then I think they were kind of like, well, this is logistically a bit of a challenge. And so the, the MOOC became just the kind of uh, academic components of their class and the assignments and so on. Uh, and so I was like, this must exist. We should have something whereby people around the world, wherever they are, can get together and form a distributed team and work together in a project for a charity. And so uh, originally, actually, we were using Skype and Skype chat a lot. We've kind of migrated through different technologies over the years. But basically, people come to our website. Uh, they you know, can read about the different projects. They get an invite to our Slack instance now. And we kind of welcome them and say, you know, what are you interested in learning? What tech stack are you interested in learning? Um, you know, come and come and join in. And I, I sort of serve a little bit as a gatekeeper, just as a, a suggester to say, oh, you're interested in Node, well, come and work on this project. Or you're interested in Rails or Pure Ruby, come and work on this project. And I introduce people to the to the new projects. They're in the Slack room. And then 
the other key component is we have these regularly running kind of scrum hangouts um, that are advertised on our website. And basically, it's like we're trying to uh, they expose the agile process where, whereby everybody comes together in the scrum. We do that kind of like daily stand-up kind of thing where you go around and say, what are you all doing? And we gonna we do it all in public and we stream it all live to YouTube so that people can look at it. And, you know, people can just kind of come in and observe and, and you know, say, oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. And people sort of get a Crete together and form into project teams and stuff gets done sometimes. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, though. So do you, you just bring people in who volunteer or you bring them in off of the MOOC? Do you have to take the, the MOOC, which is a massively open online course or something like that? I forget exactly you, what it stands for. <laughs> and the, the, the two I always get mixed around. You, you don't have to take the MOOC. It's it certainly, um, you know, we, we, I think we're heavily influenced because a lot of the early people who came in were, were, were from the MOOC. But we now have a very diverse uh, community of people uh, doing doing the course, uh, sorry, sorry, d- doing the the agile ventures. Um, it's uh, you know the, the the people who are putting their time in are, are volunteers. We do occasionally have paid projects. Occasionally, charities will have money and they need something done by a certain deadline, and so we do occasionally have uh, a paid projects. But basically, the idea is that people are putting in their volunteer time. Uh, programming and also doing things like UI design and project management and, and so on um, in order to try and contribute to worthy causes around the world. Um, we have, you know, there's a group in Detroit that's helping trying to help people find jobs there. We've got a group working with Syrian orphans. We've got um, some Swedish charities, uh, some guys here in London. Uh, and it's sort of, you know, from the very beginning when we were looking at this and some people were saying, oh, we should take on, you know, paid projects for just anyone. And I, and I guess when you've got like a crowd of people all putting in their kind of volunteer time here and there, if it's a paid project, it's a little bit, you know, like, um, I don't know, it raises all sorts of questions. Like, shouldn't this person get paid or how much should you get paid? And then you start to potentially get into arguments about like how much each person contributed and how much each thing was worth. Whereas if you say, look, we're here for learning, we're here for trying to make the world a better place and help people around the world, it kind of takes that out of the discussion. And then you can get down and focus on the learning and the agile process and, and uh, you know, having fun with the technology. Nice. I have a question. Um, mm. I read something on the website, which I, I thought was kind of interesting. It said, mm. Agile Ventures is a project incubator that stimulates and supports development of social innovations, open source, and free software. Mm. Mm. And I guess you kind of explained a lot of that just now. Mm. Um, but I wonder if, if maybe you could explain each of those things. Like, what's a social in- innovation exactly? Um, I guess I know what open source and free software are, but maybe if you could kind of describe the social innovation part, I'm curious about that. Well, I think the social innovation part is about wanting to build software that helps make a charity or a nonprofit more effective. Um, I think it's it's very easy to like get in, you know, a, a, lots of people have toy projects that they do in their their part time, um, you know, stuff for, for for learning and so on. I I think that the most interesting part of software is where you can be doing something to actually solve somebody's problem. And that requires, it kind of comes away from almost like, how do you put code together to the user experience? Um, I, I've been very inspired by uh, courses of people like Scott Clemmer, who is, um, you know, does this amazing course, people like uh, Raskin, um, the other the sort of the, the, the UI folks, uh, Donald Norman, uh, about but I guess I'm going to go on a kind of segue here. Is like Donald Norman in his his book, the the psychology of everyday things, or the design of everyday things. He talks about how 
people tend to beat themselves up about not being able to use something. They kind of, you know, they, whether, whether it's a software system or a telephone system or just trying to get in and out through a door, if they can't use it effectively to achieve what they want to achieve, they might well kind of just say, oh, no, I'm, you know, that's me. I'm stupid. I can't, I can't deal with it. Donald Norman turns it on its head and says, actually, look, you know, that's the responsibility of the designer. The designer made this thing, maybe probably with the best of intentions, but it then actually didn't work very well in the context in which um, it was placed. And, you know, I, I think when we talk about sort of social innovation, it's about sitting down with the charity and rather than necessarily always giving them exactly what they want, it's about being there as, a, as an ear to, to really listen, understand, and not just, you know, even just to watch and observe and kind of, you know, go through this process where you really start to understand what their problem is. And, and then this, and I see this as a core part of the core part of the agile process, whereby you say, okay, well, maybe this change might help you. And you give them like a sort of a slice of something and you, or you make a suggestion and they then adopt that and you see how it does lead to a positive change or it doesn't. And, you know, you iterate through that again and again. And hopefully what you have after a year or two years, three years is this process whereby everybody has like learned about each other from this process. And also the charities and the nonprofits are actually having a, more more serious positive social impact as a result. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. And are there any like commonalities that run through the the projects that you do for these organizations? Like, I actually have gone to a couple of these um, um, coding uh, marathon type things where we take a three day weekend and there's all these nonprofits and we build something for them. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a challenge they have a lot is like they have these two groups of people. They have mm -hmm. all these volunteers. And then they have these people who they match the volunteers up with when mm. they don't have a good way to manage all this stuff. And so that's like we see that kind of thing over and over again. Is mm. there anything like that in your case where you, you kind of see a pattern? Well, there's certainly – do you mean a, a pattern that is a way of doing that match up or just a sort of any, any general patterns of commonality? Would you yeah, say? just common needs that you see with these organizations. You know, I, I think that the the common – needs with the organizations is that they tend to be struggling with administrative things. And so they often have, you know, a lot of uh, paper-based procedures. And I mean, it's part of the, you know, ongoing digital revolution we have where um, they're attracted by the promise of, you know, a, a digital solution kind of uh, resolving, you know, the paperwork they're using or they've got everything in Google spreadsheets or, or what have you. Um, and I think the commonality that I see is that, that you just – if you go in there with saying, oh, yeah, no, what you need is that you need a Rails thing with an active admin and it's just going to do this for you, um, then you're going to not end up really helping them that much, that you just have to sort of go in and really do a lot of listening. Um, I mean, and, and, that's just, and that's just really, really, really hard because I think um, particularly in a uh, educational context, people tend to be, learn, you know, the, they, they learn technologies rather than learning sort of techniques of problem solving. Uh, which I think is a big problem with all education of you know in every brick, bricks and mortar in the boot camps in in this that and, and the other and um, you know there's just that big conflict there. People are trying to solve the problems with these technologies when it's this you've got to be listening to that that human angle. Um, other big thing is it, it, it's the timescales. Like you've got to be able to work with that uh, organization and. You know, you've got to have they, they've got to also sort of adopt this idea of the agile approach where, OK, we're going to try this little change and then 
Uh, we're going to, you know, reflect on it rather than two weeks later and, and do the measuring to try and work out if it did have an impact. And um, it just it can be very difficult to pin people down on that. And you've got to be careful because you know, the charities are busy people and, you, and you, you can't put too much pressure on them maybe to get the data that you want. So it's an ongoing juggling balancing act. That. How, do you, how do you deal with the, for lack of a better word, staffing for these projects? Because it sounds like there's, there's people working on a volunteer basis, yeah. so you can't necessarily like force them to be available during any certain period of time. No. No. Um, and any organization is going to have turnover challenges and stuff like that. How do you get people together to make sure that a project gets completed? Well, I mean, I think the key thing is having a committed project manager. And, um, you know, that's that's where we're always on the lookout for people who can, you know, project manage. I, I think when, when uh, the projects that don't really get anywhere are the ones where someone says, oh, I have this kind of idea. And, you know, maybe one or two other people are interested. But if there's if there's uh, if you lack a person who's going to kind of be the, the focal point, then it pretty quickly fritters away, um, you know, even faster than, than the equivalent open source project that might be sort of taken up by by someone else. So yeah, we're really, you know, whenever we find someone who's who's got that, particularly there are some people who are not involved with us who are not coders. They're particularly keen to practice their project management skills. Um, there are people who just, you know, they're coders, but they naturally that they lean towards that side of things. So kind of keeping them involved is is absolutely critical. I think also the other thing that we do is kind of I've started to coin this term, which I call open development, as kind of a level beyond open source, where we kind of say not just the code, but Everything we do into that we record the pairing sessions, we record the meetings with the client, we record the scrums and the stand-ups, and it's all streamed onto YouTube um, and you know all of the notes in the document. And we try and make everything available so that you know we, we won't t- t- to cope with this turnover because um, you know people you know from one week to the next we might have different volunteers coming in and they need to be able to see the uh, client meeting where the client was explaining why they needed that particular feature and they can't necessarily rely on the person who was there hearing about it to talk to them about it. So I'm not So they have access to everything that's ever happened. Yes. Yes. Um, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think there's still, we're, we're not doing it as well as we could do. I think it's, um, you know, the problem of course is we then have this like huge digital archive that needs organization and managing. I think, I think the way that it's most, tends to be used as people like they're just checking back on what happened in the last week or the, a couple of weeks before. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, so I, I think, I think we have certainly not mastered how to do this. Um, but it's really exciting, you know, working in that kind of completely open environment, um, and trying to kind of educate the new people that are coming in about how we do that and how to try and make the, the best, best of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's what I, I, I love about it is the kind of applying the agile process to the infrastructure that supports all of these other agile projects and trying to, you know, I think at some point, maybe we will get to that um, critical humming moment where the, you know, the infrastructure supports really goes to the next level. And suddenly these projects can be, you know, 10 times more effective uh, than, they, than they, they would be without that support. But, um, you know, we, 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 we do our best. It's, it's a it's an ongoing process. So how did this all get started? You might have touched on it, but I'm curious. How did you go from what you were doing before to doing this? And then how did you like get other people interested in it and, and grow it to what it is now? Yeah, well, that's a good that's a good question. I, I guess actually the key thing that, that started was so there was this period where um, the the MOOC there was only like the first half of the Berkeley course had been released, and it was actually in this window where Stanford at the time they'd done these three like really popular. MOOCs. And there was a point where I know, the education world was holding its breath. And it was like, 
80,000 people had signed up for each of these like AI, DB and ML courses back. I think it was in like 2011. And um, then there was this like Stanford kind of held its breath. And I think the administration was like, actually, do we want to give all this stuff away for free or not? I'm not sure that we do. And there was this brief window where like only like this, this one course from Berkeley was available. And that was like those first five weeks thing. So um, and it was then so in 2012, they released the second half of that course, uh, I think, in the fall of 2012. And I think myself and several others have been like, yeah, yeah, they're going to do this project thing. And they didn't have it. And so I created a sort of shared Skype chat room um, for the students in that course. And we just got all talking about it. Um, and we did like kind of a letter writing campaign. That's not really quite the right word. But um, at the time, it was like, hey, let's um, contact as many charities and nonprofits as we can and see who's interested in having stuff built for them. And yeah, we kind of had a shared spreadsheet and we, I created the template for, you know, uh, a letter to send to uh, charities to, to ask, you know, to explain, you know, who we were and, and how many did you contact, you know? I think it was about 20 or 25 at the time. Oh, okay. um, and, and the interesting thing was like, from, I think not many other people besides myself had very much luck, but I um, uh, went into like, there's the local volunteering center happens to be just up my road. And that has like eight or nine or 10 local charities right there. And um, I started talking to, to, to one group and another group overheard. And I found a group that was like, they were like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, they, and they had their own Twitter feed and they, they were quite switched on technologically. And uh, I've been working with them ever since and having basically weekly meetings uh, now that's almost like coming up for four years with them. And you can actually, I mean, it's sort of spread over different places. The original meetings were just audio recordings. Um, but so it's, it, it sort of started on that. There wasn't really a concept of there being Agile Ventures originally. It was just that one project. Like, And okay. I started pairing using Google Hangouts with a few other people on this. And this is the local support project. Um, and, and we started building, a, you know, I generated a, a Rails uh, scaffold. Actually, at the time, I had been using, I, I was sort of, at that time, I was full-time teaching for HPU. And I was recording, uh, but based in London. Uh, and so I was recording classes of me doing software engineering stuff. And I was like then having my students in Hawaii watch that later on. And I'd started helping out on the MOOC by recording sort of intros to the to the uh, the assignments. And so it was a natural extension to me to say, well, you know, this stuff of me running Rails Generate and getting the first version done, I can record all of that. And then I can share that with everybody in the in the in the Skype group. And mm -hmm. they can see how this all gets done. And, and that, that was basically the kernel of it. And once we had that one project going and you know, like random people from around the, the world and, and, you know, every continent started, you know, pairing and building pieces of it. Uh, and that came up and it was like other people were like, oh, we could build another project. And uh, actually, so my, my co-founder, uh, Thomas Ockman, who now runs the um, uh, uh, the Craft Academy bootcamp in Sweden. And and he kind of, I, I created like a, a Google site that was called agileventures.org. I got the domain name and he said, we should have like a really big site for this that sort of like supported many, many projects. And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And so, you know, he, he was the, the first project manager on the main kind of website one, which is our code name for the, for the, for the website. And it sort of took off, took off from there. And we've gradually, uh, I was doing it part-time for a long time, but and gradually more and more projects uh, uh, accumulated and, and there you go. Awesome. So you mentioned website one, which I had seen earlier. Mm. Is the idea behind that, that the website for Agile Ventures is actually like open source and anybody can yes. theoretically contribute to it. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And how, and does, so how does that work? Cause like, it seems like one challenge with all this stuff 
is mm. you might have people contributing and making contributions that are either not very good or like their productivity is actually negative. Mm. And so like, how do you, how do you prevent against that kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great question. And, um, yeah, so, so I think in, in the early days, the way that the website one was being run and I was sort of playing the role of the non-technical customer and we had a lot of people in, involved in that and it was a big learning project for many people, but it also got very big very quickly and it, and I think, you know, we were incurring, you know, uh, technical debt and there's just sort of a, you know, maintenance burden there. And so actually we, uh, one of the things that I've done recently, and as this now has become my full-time concern is I've kind of started to earmark certain projects and of which website one is an example as a kind of priority project. And so we now, um, you know, as, as a, as a UK charity, we, we have, um, people can donate to us. They can take up subscription subscriptions. And so one of the, the, uh, base things that you get if you subscribe, you know, start supporting us as a charity is that then you become eligible to work on the priority project. So I, what I tend to do now, and I've taken over as the, as Thomas has come more busy with other things, I've taken over this project management role on website one. And I, you know, I, in principle, I'm very happy for anybody to come and work on website one, but I kind of, I, I do need it to be focused. So it's sort of supporting the core center of things. It's, um, it, it's funny because, you know, uh, when somebody comes in with an idea and they want to do something, you want to kind of harness that enthusiasm. You don't want to say, no, sorry, you can't do that because that's not going to fit in with our bigger plan. Um, at the same time, you know, uh, there, as, as you're kind of alluding to, there's a danger in going eight different directions at, at once and there not being sort of a common vision uh, on, on, on the system there. And so I've kind of now coming into a full-time role on Agile Ventures is I'm trying to uh, reduce what website one does try and get a sort of a, a core vision there and try and coordinate the few developers who are working on it so that we're all pushing in the same direction because i think we do have a big responsibility to support all of the other projects and if you if you want to go and do like crazy and go in this direction that direction there's there's lots of different projects to get involved in so um you know i, I hope that's a reasonable compromise but in an agile sense you know we're always trying things out and then we're reflecting on it and you know in a month or two months maybe that's you know not going to be the right thing and we'll go in a different direction again so what are what are some of the things that you're wanting to accomplish with Agile Ventures? Like, let's say in the next few months and then maybe the next few years. And if you have a vision for it for like the next few decades, even, you know, whatever time scale you want to talk about it. But where do you see it going in the future? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, the what I would love to see is, you know, over the next few months, you know, more projects starting the, some of the, we've, we've, we, it's, it's actually kind of, you know, it's been quite active recently. We've got a couple of really interesting new, new projects started. I, I'd love to see those grow into really healthy, stable projects. I mean, it's a bit like gardening. You've got, you know, you've got to sort of weed and, and, and tend and, and so on. I mean, I think what I would really love to see over the course of the next year is that we can get more sponsors. We can get more premium members signed up, um, you know, uh, and then, like the, we can actually start to afford to uh, employ more people to basically be there on point to make sure that everybody's getting what they need in terms of support for their individual individual projects. Um, and we we've, we've got it's sort of we introduced this sort of premium level of support. Uh, so you can you can you know there's a there's a basic free tier and then you can sort of pay for additional help and support with your educational process within Agile Ventures. And there are you know uh, we've got we've got you know a few sponsors and so that's going. I'm still like, right, I'm still spinning plates, but this is sort of going in the right direction. So if, if that trend continues, um, you know, in, in a year, we could be in a stable place. And what I would like to see really five years, 10 years down the line is I would like to see 
things like Agile Ventures, it doesn't necessarily just have to be just us, filling that gap between the education and the kind of the, the job. I, I think that there is there is something that you get from working in a project with a real customer who has kind of like real needs. And so, you know, you're trying all the heuristics that you learned in the bootcamp, like the solid principles, you know, and uh, all, all the different, you know, the agile process and so on, actually trying to use those when someone's saying, look, we have to get this working by next Thursday, and you're doing it in a group. Um, I think that's the real crucible for learning. And so if we could somehow get that, all the process streamlined so that anybody coming out of a university, a boot camp or whatever could come in and have that thing for all of the junior developers, mid-level developers who wanted to level up, that they could be doing this in their spare time, contributing to, you know, the greater goods around the world in the process and having a great time. I mean, that would be the long-term vision, I guess. So, Sam, it sounds like there's different ways people could get involved and contribute depending on, like, what your background is and where you are in your career and what kind of skills that you have to offer and stuff like that. Absolutely. I'm wondering, like, if somebody's listening to this right now and they think, hey, this sounds kind of cool, um, I'm interested in maybe getting involved, but I'm not sure how would be appropriate for me to get involved or if it would be appropriate for me to get involved. So, like, are there ways for, say, a junior developer to get involved or a senior developer to get involved? Uh, maybe you could tell me about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I'd, I'd say, and I, and I say this uh, a lot, is I think that there's certainly room for people at every level to get involved. Um, you know, there's, the, in a project that, that's running, even if you're non-technical, you know, there's project management, there's user interface, there's, uh, you know, working with the client, there's there's all sorts of things which are really, really valuable parts of making a project work. Um, as a junior developer, you know, I, I think your your input is just as valuable, even if you might not have some of the advanced technical skills, your fresh eyes on this and your enthusiasm can make a world of difference to, to to other people who are kind of like this is a really tough problem that we're not sure how to solve or not how to go forward. And I think if you're a if you're a senior developer and you're you know slipping into that mentoring role, I mean we kind of have now a sort of a selection of people who have been involved with Agile Ventures for uh, a, a, a long time. We have kind of like a, an, an Agile Ventures mentors list. And you know if you're a senior developer interested in in this stuff, I would love to speak to you and kind of get you onto that mentors list so that you know we can take advantage of oh, the world can take advantage of the, just us i mean this the big thing is like rather than doing this for personal gain per se this is trying to you know make education real trying to you know help all of the deserving causes around the world and you know sort of harness your skills and experience to help you know maybe not maybe you not even coding you're just advising you know or sitting in some pairing sessions for some junior developers who are a little bit unsure you know that there's all sorts of opportunity to help. And it's all done remote and online. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. You know, it's through Slack. It's through Hangouts. You know, we have these, you know, every day, you know, uh, three times a day, there are uh, scrums that are online. It's all streamed on YouTube. You know, come in and get involved. You know, email me, Slack me, whatever. And we'll yeah, I was going to ask if somebody's yeah. interested in getting involved, how do they get the ball rolling with that? Yeah, well, the, the you know, they can always email me at sam at agileventures.org. They can, um, you know, if they sign up, to uh, the website, they just create an account on agileventures.org. They will should get an automatic invite to the Slack instance, and then they can just start chatting. I, I'm a bit of a Slack addict. I maybe have a bit of a problem there. Um, and uh, but that, how that, many that, Slacks are you part of? Oh, it's like twelve now, and I can't really keep up with them. And <laughs> I've got it on my phone, and I I had a, so the thing is I had an operation recently, and then I was kind of bored at the hospital, and I was like, and now okay. Anyway, we'll have to do co working <laughs> I'm so, in 30 so, right now. So oh, wow. I, impressive. Impressive. 
So you're the winner, Jerome, or the loser, possibly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's take a break from this episode and really quickly talk about finding a job. You know, searching for a job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out that the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Well, there's a solution. Hired.com is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best. Hired puts you in control of how and when you connect with compelling opportunities. And after completing one simple application, top employers apply to you. And the best part is, is that you get money. That's right. They pay you if you get a job through them. Listeners to this show can earn double their normal hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right. You get $2,000 instead of $1,000. So go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues Podcast. Well, I have a few questions in regards to uh, Agile. Sure. Um, one of the things I want to know was, um, I know, I, well, Jason, he actually, he touched on mm. having a turnover of uh, team members on a mm. project. Mm. I wanted to know, when it comes to the MOOCs, so the MOOC training system, mm-hmm. how, how do you handle, like, finding those who are motivated for any particular project? Like, I know a lot of that has to do with, like, the project manager trying to see not only who has the skills, but, you know, who is motivated. Like, you know, should we just allow a person who is a paying customer to be on website one? Mm-hmm. And, or do you, like, gauge their their activity or their productivity on other projects or on the site or in the Slack channel. Uh, how do you guys make that gauge or just the effectiveness of, because I'm interested in MOOCs as well, because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I teach, um, I teach uh, people how to use Ruby on Rails, the veterans on uh, Rails and all this other That's stuff. Your work, by the way, really, really impressed. Really like thank your work. But. Thank you. But uh, one of the things that when we looked at certain uh certain avenues of like MOOCs or other type of curriculums outside of ours. But we were things that we were seeing that just having that out there for people to be self-paced. Yes. And really helping them stay motivated. So I want to, how are you guys working on that? Cause you were saying, um, mm-hmm. get to that level of having people get jobs or yeah. just becoming better developers in regards to like junior or mid or even like complete newbie. How do you guys handle those newbies so they don't get discouraged? Because when they're going to jump to a project and like, holy crap, I have no idea what this mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And that's a complete, you know, like you said, and like you don't want to think they're a complete loser. You're going to get uh, motivated from that. So just yeah. like, those are all things that I was really interested mm-hmm. in. I was saying, mm-hmm. I didn't really hear like, how do you handle that people aspect? Like one of the things yeah. you work on or one of the things we're focusing on is we're focusing on bringing on somebody who literally just handles people yes. like as someone that manages just people and personalities. Sure. Then you have everybody else that does nerd stuff. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I just want to know uh, what, were, what was your ideas on that? How are you uh, solving that problem? Yeah, I, it's, that's a fantastic question. And I, I'll just start, maybe start with the, the, the MOOC. And I think that the, the MOOCs, you know, they, they are there. They put all of this stuff out there. And, and really, the MOOCs are probably most valuable for people who are already extremely motivated. Um, there's, uh, 
it's, I mean, there, there's kind of a, I was going to talk about the, the unconferences in the law of two feet and, and people kind of going to where they, they want to be. Um, you know, I think MOOCs are fantastic resources. I think the things that, that made the difference with the new range of MOOCs compared to like from 10 years ago, we had like loads of open courseware and so on, was the autograders that kind of made it, you know, I think motivation comes a lot from feedback. And so, you know, there was a new round of automated feedback that came with some of the more recent MOOCs, and that kind of made them more exciting and engaging, but still nothing compared to a boot camp where you have a group of people like, yeah, we're going to help you, uh, you know, or a university uh, bricks and mortar to, to, to a lesser extent. It's, it's having that per other human being who's really engaged in your learning process that actually helps uh, people who are, are not so motivated. Uh, uh, we have, though, I, I think a kind of fundamental problem with Agile Ventures, or the, one of the fundamental problems that we're trying to solve is that I think particularly for people who are not necessarily so confident or so motivated, is that they will generally be intimidated by the idea of having, uh, you know, a client or a real project. Um, they will probably tend to... From, from like yeah. underrepresented uh, communities, like especially yeah. through, we're thinking about minorities or women, even in the um, UK, the um, women technology sure. uh, movement is really focusing on bringing those like uh, underrepresented, underrepresented minorities uh, in tech or um, that aren't as included in technology into the field. So I want to like, those are like, those are problems that we face as well as uh, yeah. our organization, trying to make them feel like, you know, it's okay and this is a safe space and deal with that empathy of it yeah. and understanding of that. So I just, I want to pick your brain up because, you know, we're kind of in the same field, but yeah, with everybody and I just deal with one, <laughs> one piece of the puzzle. Sure. So yeah. I, was, I was really intrigued by that. Yeah, well, it is, I think it's one of the fascinating problems. I mean, I, I can't claim that we've we, we, we've solved it. I think, and I think we have the advantage that that any boot camp with a sort of more structured curriculum has is that that structured curriculum will feel safer. And we have this more sort of organic kind of project sort of turning over each other, which is, uh, you know, by its very nature, slightly more in, intimidating. But I think it's like where we can make a connection with the individual um, that's where we can make a, a, a difference. And I think it comes down from creating this safe space. And so one of the things we say about what we're doing with Agile Ventures is, you know, you might ha have the inclination, you might be hearing from people that you should su submit to something to open source. You should contribute to open source. You do a pull request. That'd be a good thing. That's, that, that's uh, in what we try and uh, say with Agile Ventures is like, you submitting a pull request in Agile, one of the Agile Ventures products, it's a safe space. And so you're going to get, you know, a positive reaction and you're going to get, you know, people who are not only interested in the quality of the code coming in and how that's going to fit in with the, the bigger project, but also interested in your learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, bottom line, it, it takes a lot of, a lot of humility. Um, and, and I've, I've failed at this in, in the past as kind of an academic and where we come from the academic world where it's a lot of like right or wrong and it's this or, or that other. And I think my, uh, in the past, I've be, tend to be, oh, you shouldn't do this or you should do this or, or what have you. Um, I, I think, yeah, it's other, I mean, I, I can sort of say this, it's easy to say all the things that I've done wrong in the past more than the things to do to do right, maybe, is is I've, I'm trying to always be pushing people to sort of discuss things in, in, in open channels and in front of the group. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like a, an extrovert. I tend to like, you know, this whole stream everything online, you know, was my idea. I'm kind of like strangely happy with everybody seeing almost everything I do almost my entire life is televised these days. Um, but what, I, what I've realized is I think, you know, particularly for people who are not so motivated, not so confident, 
what they want is, you know, to be able to connect in private. So like, I think the, you know, the direct message on, on Slack and what, what I particularly do with all of our premium members is I'm reaching out to them individually on a regular basis. We assign mentors to them. And I think it's, um, th- th- actually t- touching back on the Donald Norman thing, uh, we often find that, for example, uh, a, a, a student, independently of whether they are in an underrepresented group or that they have additional uh, challenges, but like just for everybody, they can get stuck on Git or the process of like getting their thing into the pull request. And that's, that's incredibly uh, disempowering for people. And they think I'm not smart enough to use Git or to get this done. And I often, the thing I will say to them is like, actually, you know, this Git, it's this crazy power tool and everybody gets stuck on it. And actually it's, don't beat yourself up about it. It's a reflection of at some level, poor design of the tool. And part of what we're all in this together is to try it like, like all of these things are open source. They're all sort of thrown out there and people are building on it. And, and your experience of having trouble with it is actually really valuable. If we can harness that and build on that, we can actually make it easier for the next person. And, um, you know, I think there's no substitutes for trying to make that human connection with the person who's struggling with that, that thing. And I, and I think that the, the, the big, yeah, the big thing about creating that safe space and whether that safe space is like you having a private one-to-one hangout with them or a, an individual one-to-one chat, um, that's kind of the key from from my point of view. I'm not saying we do it fantastically well, but I think for where I am now, I've identified that that's the direction I think we need to go in to support people effectively. Roger, let me do a similar case. It's very funny when you mentioned the uh, GitHub issue because mm-hmm. people do not um, new uh, new developers don't realize just how normal that problem is. So like mm-hmm. developers across the board, the first places they usually get hung up on is mm-hmm. How to do uh, a pull request, or how to do um, how to use command lines on like how to use their terminal. Like those are that's normal. You're not supposed to, you know, be a whiz on terminal day one. If you you were good, um, like we tell our guys, like if you're good on terminal day one, you wouldn't be here. So, (laughs) um, but all right. So in regards to your, uh, you, you mentioned like the direct messaging and actually reaching out. Are you afraid? that the direct messaging or going through that clause will start a more clickish um, yeah. environment. Like that's another, why we, we initially thought about that, but then we turned away from that because we did not want to risk like teams and uh, cohorts not communicating with each other. So we tried to focus mm. out of like the leadership team and the like staff, like instead of team operations and leadership team, we try to keep everything open as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the go, go I'm sorry. Like you're not, if you, somebody else might have the same question that you have and you're not answering that question out or asking that question out openly, then I might have to ask that, answer that question like a hundred times. Yeah. Or, you know, people just don't know that it's okay to ask questions. So that's one of the things that we, you know, we try to, I, I tell them, you know, we're all idiots together. Like your stuff, mm-hmm. I don't uh, I'm, like, I'm always asking questions. I'm not afraid to ask a question at all. So don't be afraid to uh, admit that you're not, you know, you're not 100% sure. And, you know, just ask questions. I just want to know, what's your idea? Like, do you think that that may eventually become problematic with the idea of um, direct messaging? Yeah. And- yeah. I, 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 think, I think you're right. I, I think, um, I mean, I, I've kind of, built the direct messaging back in after a long period of pushing people kind of away from that. Um, I think I think you're right. I think if it, if it becomes all isolated communication 
between individuals that that gets into a big problem. It's also not sustainable in terms of that, that puts a, a huge load on lots of individuals. I mean, I think um, it, it's all about that the timing and the situation in which you're pushing the person out of their safe space and into that group space. I mean, I, I you know, I've spent a lot of time in my university career in in, in boot camp trying to encourage students to post on Stack Overflow, and uh, you know, and then I then I had to give them my my I have my the Sam Joseph Stack Overflow guarantee of protection. You know, if someone gives you a hard time on Stack Overflow, I will go and literally, or virtually, not metaphorically, slap them around, and I, I will I will plus one you and star you and like make sure that you get help. You know, forming the question in the right way. So, I mean, I, I've been kind of amazed personally because I, I have this kind of blasé attitude towards asking things in almost any context that I, I've been amazed over the years to discover that actually that's something that people are so afraid of. Like, I think they, they said that the number one fear ahead of dying is talking in public. And I love talking in public so much that I'm like, what? But, you know, it's like through repeated encounters where I think actually probably the majority of the population is that that's actually really painful for them to uh, you know, ask a question, but I don't know if this is, relates to some sort of human psychology or the education system or, that we have around the world or, or, or what it is, but getting people out of that natural, okay, I'm just going to ask this. I'm maybe not going to ask it. Well, one, I'm going to suffer in silence for four, five, 20 hours before I'm then bashing my head against the keyboard and then give up. Like, so like, okay, maybe we can get them away from that and then, oh, maybe I'll ask quietly to just one person and, you know, I, 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 I think that the... Um, what I've recognized is, is that if you try and push people away from their comfort zone of the one-to-one -one question or the sort of the focus, they get very, very uncomfortable very quickly. And it's about that sort of timing. So it's about offering them that line of support when they're originally, originally reaching out, as, as exactly as you're saying, connecting it to like, this is a problem that everyone has. And, but then connecting it in, you know, a little bit at a time with the philosophy on open source and how the process of asking your question can actually be very powerful and very enabling and help the entire world to build, you know, a better future. I know I'm talking there in, in like silly rhymes or what have you, but you know what I mean, right? It, it's about... Yeah, it makes mm -hmm. perfect sense. Yeah, the, 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 your, your insight that you thought was you being stupid, that's actually the thing that can help uh, a person improve their software. And, and that's the incremental and what beautiful evolutionary way that all of this open source software that we use to do great things gets built. So like, you know, um, but I think it's uh, it's very difficult for the for the learner to kind of believe that the first time around. They kind of have to hear that again and again, and you can't push it on them too hard, or they're just going to like, who is this crazy British guy who's like trying to you know, talk to me all the time? So, <laughs> you know, yes. you know what I'm saying. I've been well, there. And just to uh, piggyback on one thing you said, it's kind of crazy that like the number one problem in all like education uh, based industries so when it comes to technology, education, technology companies or nonprofits seems to be students wanting to reach out on Stack Overflow, like from for profit code schools to universities to even nonprofits such as yours. Uh, mm -hmm. What I've seen is that the number one problem is new people, uh, new people reach out on Stack Overflow and that fear of having mm -hmm. a Stack Overflow troll come at somebody because they've deemed that question not smart enough. So how um, do you have like any, um, now, do you have like any type of prior, or what we have is like mentors that they mm -hmm. can ask before they go to Stack Overflow. Or yeah. we have, they're not asking us, we set up a, you know, I guess we call it our first line of defense, right, which right. you're mentors and these people 
answer questions. I help you with pair programming, things of that nature before you go into the abyss of Stack Overflow. So yeah. first, I would say, yeah, I don't totally understand the whole going and having your new your newbies go into the Stack Overflow abyss totally sucks when you're afraid that somebody's going to be a jerk to them. And uh, want to see if you had started solving that problem and that method as well. Yeah, well, and then it's actually one of the key things that our premium members get is they get access to a sort of a separate private channel with the mentors there. And that then I think that what, what we see from that is that, you know, by creating that sort of semi-private space, that actually helps people along the path. And it kind of this was a difficult step for me because it was sort of antithetical to the whole open development thing that I was kind of like, you know, I believe that this all needs to be open and, and, and so on. But I think, you know, in a it was a concession on my part, but I think it's bearing fruit is that by creating sort of a, a, a staged series of spaces of different levels of uh, privacy, you can actually help scaffold people towards that path where they will get to the point where they will have the confidence to ask anybody anything. So, yeah, I, it's a, you know, great question. Are people really afraid to ask stuff on Stack Overflow? Yes, that, new troops, uh, I'm sorry, not troops. New developers are terrified of Stack Overflow. Uh, I, when, uh, I've been, I've had several type of uh, interviews with new you troops that are coming out of four parts. Can you say that again? Uh, Just the last like, couple seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I've had experiences with new troops, or I keep saying troops, but new life developers from for-profit schools, even uh, when we when I talk to veterans that come for our program, they try to go the uh, MOOC path or like the going to like a free program or things like that nature. They are, you know, there are so many horror stories about Stack Overflow uh, developers attacking uh, people who are not, you know, who aren't well versed in this craft, and that has actually stopped a lot of people from uh, joining the community. I've heard it from several women, several uh, other underrepresented minority groups, where one of the things that they've like, turned out, turned them off has not been how hard our craft is, but just interaction in like open spaces such as Stack Overflow being... Well, let me, uh, let me offer just a quick word of encouragement in case we have anybody listening who who shares that same fear of posting stuff on Stack Overflow. Like, think of what kind of person is going to just go around um, squashing people's questions and stuff on Stack Overflow. Like, what kind of person doesn't have anything better to do than just, like, post negative comments on people's Stack Overflow questions? Because I've definitely had that same thing happen to me. And I'll be honest, that it, it bothered me a little bit when I saw these comments that like people were saying my question was dumb or whatever. Um, or, you know, they, they might not come out and say something quite like that, but they'll definitely be like very tactless with some of their comments. Um, but like a, you need to like grow a little bit of a thick skin. Um, that's just like a general skill to have in general that will, that will benefit you in your life. So like, don't be afraid to uh, to do that thing that you need to do to get your job done, to post a question on Stack Overflow just because you're afraid somebody will say something mean about you. And then consider the fact that like these people posting these comments, like they're losers uh, for just posting these mean things back at you. And also, you know, some of the things they say, although they may not say it in a very nice way, it might 
it might be legitimate feedback. Like when you post a question, read your question before you post it and think like, okay, am I describing like the things that I've already tried? Am, am I including like the full story of what it is that I'm trying to accomplish? Not just at a really fine grain, but like what's the overall thing that I'm trying to accomplish? Because having the skill of asking a good question is also a really useful skill to have too. That's one of the things that we actually, we have in one of our troops write a blog post on it because he did it. Uh, he went out there and he did it and it worked really well. And I was like, I think that's something that people should know how to ask a question on Stack Overflow, the Stack Overflow that keep you from like attracting jerks. So, but like I've been there, like uh, I have to deal with these people who are being mean to newbies. I've seen it firsthand when it comes like when I was in New York and dealing with General Assembly, I was like, wow, people really do this to people. Like there's one young woman, she posted on Stack Overflow and then, you know, just a swarm of negative uh, comments. So I was like, wow, that's crazy. So uh, I think we should go back to that first rule of like Google of do no evil. Maybe like mm -hmm. the community because that's one thing that helped us grow uh, as well. So, but by the way, there's this quote I really like: "To avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing." Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, like, if if you're afraid of putting yourself out there for fear of criticism, like, you know, you're you're gonna get criticized just by being alive. So, don't be afraid of it. Hey, do you need a sanity check on your code? Make sure all the tests are passing. Make sure all the static assets compile. You know, all the normal things that you need to do to make sure that your application is ready for production. Then you need continuous integration. And I recommend SnapCI. SnapCI is a product put together by our friends at ThoughtWorks. And it works great to pull all of your information together about your application. Make sure it's ready for production. Let your team know if it fails. And overall, just make your life easier. So go check them out at SnapCI.com. Well, one other thing that I would like to just add to this is that a lot of times they are worried, is this a really stupid question to ask? And um, the really stupid question to ask is the one that you waited two hours to ask. Uh, mm -hmm. In other words, just get in and ask it. Um, I don't think there is a stupid question. I think, um, you know, somebody might get in and say, hey, the answer's on this other question on Stack Overflow. You know, maybe you could have spent a couple minutes looking for another answer. But other than that, I mean... You know, more than likely, if you're getting feedback that means anything, it's uh, we need to know this information too, or we need you to go through these couple of uh, troubleshooting steps or something like that. But even then, yeah. you're learning every time you do it. And so yeah. if you're killing time and, you know, wasting a bunch of effort trying to figure something out that somebody can say, hey, here's how you solve it in five minutes, that to me, the stupid question is, um, uh, you know, it was stupid not to ask it. I know there is a such thing as a stupid question, though, for sure. Like, I've seen a lot of really dumb questions on Stack Overflow. But if you're afraid that you're asking a dumb question, like, invest some time into how not to ask a dumb question. Because yeah. there's, definitely, there's definitely approaches you can take, and it's a learnable skill to ask a good question. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's really key. I mean, I'm just going to connect there with you know Jerome. I I, I through the, the different experience, university boot camp, uh, MOOCs, and so on. There are definitely people who are really afraid of this. I think everything you're saying there, Jason, is is correct. That's you know the to be alive is to be subject to criticism. I, I think one of the things here there is is sort of the middle ground, which is also being touched on, which is that it's about the way in which you ask the question. And I think sometimes. Uh, 
particularly for, for learners, although I think, I think also, well, everybody's a learner, I mean, particularly for relatively inexperienced developers, but also experienced developers, we're so aware of our kind of the context of what we're doing. We're so aware of how this was difficult, was that was difficult. When we frame the question, we fail to do that work, which is to provide the surrounds, which is like maximizes the chance that the, the person can help us. And that absolutely, as I think several of you all said, it, that, that is such a valuable skill to learn. And I think I've certainly seen some, some situations where um, the feedback that's been received is, is about, you know, it's, it's maybe rather brusque, but it's about probing to try and get that extra information. But the person who's in that learning situation, who's maybe for other reasons outside of work, feeling like not so good or whatever, they can sort of take that, um, you know, and it's sort of, it's about, you know, for some of them just in, in the wrong place to receive that. And, um, you know, uh, the, the, the big thing really is to work with people to sort of show them how they can ask these questions in the right way in order to get the, 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 the right sort of response. And once you've done that, that's, that's a real enabler that allows people to start feeling, you know, on a spiral of confidence going up instead of one going down. It's, uh, Back to, uh, I have another question about uh, Agile Ventures. I want to know, what is the uh, adoption rate or the scaling? Like how many people, let's say, monthly end up joining um, that, like the projects, things of that nature? Are you guys getting like, uh, you know, 20 people, 200 people, 5,000 people? Like I've seen some crazy sure. numbers in some places. So Yeah. I mean, so 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 we, we've, I would say that they're, you know, since the start, we've gone from a few members to, you know, over the last year, you know, I would say like a sort of a core of 20 members. And we're seeing like a, an increase. We've now got like six or seven active projects, which have each got, you know, uh, sort of five plus members involved. So we're not uh, at the scale of uh, on the, the people who are like really actively working. I think we're not yet more than 100 people being really active. Uh, we get about 1,500 people looking at the site every month and so on. So, you know, it's, a, it's at a fairly small scale at the moment. Um, and I'm, you know, th that'll be the trick really going forward is taking what we do and, and, and scaling it up. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a potential as uh, Jason was asking before about, you know, whether we see it in five or 10 years, I, I would like to see, you know, hundreds, thousands of projects. We've got a, a further collaboration with UC Berkeley to create a, an, uh, an online project course, which will, you know, uh, try and take the scale up another level next year. And, uh, you know, I think in principle, there's no reason why it shouldn't ultimately scale up indefinitely. It's just you've got to have that um, infrastructure and, and support in place. I think that I just, I'm going to kind of maybe take it in a direction for that. One of the key things I've learned uh, over the last uh, year or two is that kind of, I think far more important than any of the heuristics like the the solid principles or the design patterns or, you know, BDD or TDD. I mean, there's, there's, we're, we're, we have suggestions for ways of doing things, you know, XP and everything coming out of our ears as, as developers. And it's very, very easy for people to kind of take a position and say, oh, well, you didn't use this process or this, there's this problem. And so what you're doing is not wonderfully good. I think the kind of, the key thing for the success of these projects is actually all about the humans kind of being kind of forgiving of each other and kind of like allowing the project to take its own course. I think it's a bit like the, what they talk about, the principle of two feet in the unconference. That's kind of like, if you're not really enjoying the session that you're in, 
right? Then go and start mm-hmm. another session. And I think, you know, over the years we've seen, you know, some there's some strong personalities have, have, have clashed in different projects and, and, and so on. Um, I, I think there's no magic solution to that other than to allow people to sort of drift towards the groups that they're interested in and trying to instill, if you can, across the whole panoply of projects, this idea that there is no one perfect right way to do thing. Um, you know, every every team should be able to sort of kind of choose their own tools, you know, to try things out. I think the one thing that we would just say we would be really worried if you didn't have was this agile process of reflection. If you're not kind of, you know, making a few changes and then looking about how that has effect positively or negatively what you're doing, then you're starting to run into trouble. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, in the past, people have talked about, oh, yeah, you, we're going to scale if we impose this or we, this is the way to make this happen. I, I, I like to imagine this kind of, uh, utopia of you know a general support framework for all of these different projects going on that are all evolving the way they do things you know themselves and then having a chance to share with each other and learn from each other uh, as it goes forward. Whether we'll ever scale that on on uh, larger is an open question, but it's a it's a it's a it's a you know fun problem to work on for the time being. Roger that. Uh, my final question. I don't know. We're probably being close to starting to have to do our picks and things of that nature. Uh, do you, because we're both, like I said, we're kind of in the same field, as well as Jason, um, as well, because he has an online uh, book education course for melding a JS framework with Rails. Do you think this is the future of like education? I personally feel like it is. People are going to, you know, technology is changing how people are interacting, and education is that last frontier, and like... I believe uh, your organization, similar to mine, is a remote first uh, mm-hmm. organization. And do you think that's like the path that people are going to start going? Like, you know, we don't want to go through the uh, the process of having all this physical infrastructure when we can go online and build an infrastructure and community straight from there. So the first question is about education. The second one was about um, going, like, do you think this is going to be, do you think this is going to be the future in both places going um, online first to build your community for education, as well as you know building infrastructure for companies and organizations online mm-hmm. and like real life. Yeah, yeah, great questions again. That the I mean on the education side, I mean I think for me personally, because I would love to see it going that way, because I've always kind of struggled with an education system that sort of tries to sort of tell you things and then you memorize it and then you regurgitate it for an exam and and it's kind of like. Is it soul destroying? I, I, does anybody actually like going through that process? I, I, you know, I mean, I think there's an aspect to which you know uh, universities, liberal art colleges, and so on are kind of giving you tasters of how you know different things to, to to do. But it's like I don't know that kind of like that. Ta- much as I'm I'm a person who task switches within a within a project, like rather than having three months of lectures where I do two hours of one thing here and two hours of another thing there, I kind of like. I would like to focus on one thing for, you know, uh, a period. Um, but it's I mean, you know, it's just taking bits and taking chunks and bits of each one. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no reason in principle why, um, universities can't do that. And I do, I also work with a group of instructors who use the MOOC materials around the world. And so there, there's a group, I think it's, is it uh, Colorado college who are, they've actually adopted a kind of a, a boot camp style. They do like a the compressed course in sort of, uh, in, in three months. So, uh, you know whether the rev- the revolution there may come from the, the universities. 
I'd certainly love to see the education thing going that way. To, to the second part of your question, which I think is also really interesting, I think that there's actually an extraordinary uh, possibility for a revolution here where we just we depopulate the cities like this. Um, you know, people can become these digital nomads and just be where rather than having to do these horrible commutes into the, the centers like and like who wants to do that? Um, it, it is incredibly empowering. I mean, I think we, you know, it, it's partly as people get more and more familiar with the remote and online technologies, um, that's going to become more and more uh, a possible reality. I think the, the signs are there. And, um, you know, if we're lucky, it'll lead to, you know, a happier, healthy uh, workforce with people actually being able to do things that they find more meaningful. I mean, fingers crossed. Every time I have to go into the city, I, a little piece of me dies. Like, I absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I absolutely love going into Nashville. It's the saddest experience of my life like you guys don't understand how depressed i am in a car mm. like five minutes away from my computer doing absolutely nothing productive but moving from one spot to the next for like a 10 15 minute meeting and mm. it's usually because somebody is not comfortable using technology and so i just i definitely just say i definitely understand that whole the pain of commuting it makes me like just thinking about it right now i'm getting sad all over yesterday i had to go 45 minutes for a 15 minute meeting and i was just mad for the rest of the day Mm. yeah i totally hear that i wonder how many people are listening to this on their commute (laughs) (laughs) at at the very least that podcasts make the you know it's podcasts like this that make the commute bearable personally i I, I find it's uh you know podcasts are i'm only relatively recently into podcasts and i think it's uh, they're an amazingly beautiful thing Podcasts and games, people, or what I heard, like, are the two top top two things that people do while commuting and mm. go to the restaurant. And I was like, so people are listening to us, or either in the bathroom, or they're going from point A to point B. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Or maybe I heard working out was another one. Or doing the dishes. Jogging. jogging. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, or exercise, doing dishes. I never... I didn't see chores on it. I definitely have to look at that list again. I definitely, it just was funny to me that, oh, so someone's either using the bathroom or traveling. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there's like a doctor somewhere performing an appendectomy while he's listening to this episode. I guess I hope hope not, you know, because I'd like to think he was really focused on his one thing. (laughs) We're having an exciting discussion here. I don't want to distract the, the, just the knife. They, you know. Just this is high level. I want, I, want my, I want the doctor to be doing something that's like, it's just, I need you 100% focus on the person that you have cut open right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all so right, to well, all the doctors out there, doctors out there, if you're doing the appendectomy, focus on the patient, okay? Speaking of the patient, I think we have uh, gotten ourselves distracted a little bit. Um, let's go ahead and do picks. Sure. Roger that. Uh, Jason, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure, I got two picks. My first pick is a book called Flow by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Um, I listened to the audio version, which I thought was was great. It's narrated by the author. Um, just a quick snippet from the book. He talked about the difference. So Flow is about uh, getting into like a flow state where you kind of lose track of time and you're just really into what you're doing and how to get into the flow state. One of the uh, most interesting parts I found about that book was the difference between enjoyment and pleasure. So like pleasure might be when you're watching TV or something like that. Um, but enjoyment is when you're engaged in maybe some kind of skill based activity. And it's, it's a different kind of, 
of thing. Um, so that's, that was just a really interesting book. I'd listened to the whole thing a couple times just cause I thought it was so great. My other pick is me. Um, so I'm a, I'm a consultant and I'm hireable to, uh, to write code. And I also do mentorship and, and training and stuff like that. And I have some availability coming up potentially in January 2017 to work with a client. So if you're interested in talking with me about that, send me an email at jason at Ben Franklin Labs and, and we can talk. Awesome. Jerome, what are your picks? All right. I was making sure I had all my picks uh, pointed out. But my first pick, uh, I don't know if I talked about this before, but uh, reading it again, I am absolutely loving it. It's called uh, Dataclism. Uh, basically one of the founders of OkCupid and he talks about how data is so important, you know, to our life, just in like the idea of like, like for instance, looking at his app, how right now every year, 200 couples are married. They have met on OkCupid and of those roughly 50% have kids. So you have like, you know, there's a hundred kids out there that their parents met on OkCupid every year. Uh, and uh, it's just it's an amazing, amazing book. And it really just changes how you look at uh, how you look at life. Uh, another pick is uh, Remote, the book by uh, DHH. We uh, we recently had him as an AMA for our troops uh, talking about his book and just his process of how he gets so much crap done. And we realized that a lot of that had to do with the fact that he does not leave his house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so that is another pick, but uh, it's especially if you're looking to go into a remote business or going or turning your company into remote, just all of those, just so much great information on how to turn, how to use the remote work environment to your advantage. So uh, dataclism and the remote will be my two picks. Awesome. I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. Uh, the first one is an app that I found for Google Drive, which I've been using more and more. Um, Google Drive and, and this app too. It's called MindMup. It's, uh, it's a mind mapping tool. And it just sits right on top of Google Drive. It's really cool. Um, so if you if you do mind mapping as part of your mm. process for something, then go check it out. It's uh, mindmupmup.com. So, um, yeah, really enjoying that. And then uh, the other thing that I'm going to pick is um, I've, I've mentioned a few times on the show that I set a goal to listen to everything on Audible that was uh, recorded by Zig Ziglar, who is a motivational speaker uh, success coach kind of guy. Um, he passed away a few years ago, but uh, they've got a uh, hundred and something hours of content on there. And I basically bought everything that what didn't look like it was a duplicate. So like if there was um, courtship after marriage and the new courtship after marriage, I just got the new courtship after marriage. But um, I've been listening lately to his Born to Win seminar. And if you listen to a lot of his other stuff, you're going to get a lot of repeated content but uh, this is like 15 hours of just here's how to be a successful person, and it's terrific. So uh, I'm going to pick the Born to, Win, Born to Win seminar on Audible um, by Zig Ziglar. Um, Sam, what are your picks? Okay, yeah, thanks. Um, so I think I'm going to start off with a, the technical one. Um, uh, there's a gem called Railroady, 
um, which is uh, basically it works with Rails and it will draw um, kind of a, a data model and controller map uh, automatically from your existing models and controllers. And um, I found that really useful in terms of legacy projects, you know, looking in there, even just stuff that uh, um, I've been working on myself and it's kind of got a bit out of control. Um, yeah, so uh, Railroadie, uh, that's uh, the, the guy at Preston on, on GitHub. I, I really recommend checking that that out. That's a good uh, that's a good gem. Um, and then I've got a couple of like like my sort of uh, I'm quite into science fiction and things. I got um, uh, an anthology of like the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft recently, and I read through that. And um, there was one that I particularly hadn't read before called The Shadow Out of Time. Um, and I want to pick explicit. I mean, I, you know, I pick H.P. Lovecraft generally, uh, but particularly this um, Shadow Out of Time is. You know, he. One of the things I love about the anthology is it builds up, and you can see his early work. I, I would say that this Shadow Out of Time is kind of his pinnacle. Pinnacle. It is just. I will not say anything else. Just read it. It's it's a sort of short story. Fantastic. Um, and then a final one is uh, there is a, a book that I've I've got. Um, it is called Gene Stealer Cults uh, by uh, Peter Favara. I'm probably pronouncing his uh, name incorrectly. But uh, this is kind of a, this is like a there's a there is a sort of tabletop uh, fantasy game called Warhammer 40k here in the UK from Games Workshop and which I used to play when I was younger and I'm kind of like reliving some of that by reading these novels set in this universe and I kind of like the sub pick there is I'm going to pick the Tyranids who are this like just oh look it up on Wikipedia they they are like an insane race so um, yeah I'm kind of like reliving some of my old Dungeons and Dragons uh, Games Workshop days with all that. All right. Well, uh, before we wrap up, Sam, if people want to follow you, find out what you're doing, see what you're tweeting about, where do they go? Yeah. So, well, agileventures.org is the site. Um, I My kind of online name is Tansaku, uh, so T-A-N-S-A-K-U. Uh, we'll get in the show notes when it, um, uh, I'm that on GitHub, uh, that with an extra U on Twitter due to having my name stolen. Uh, but yeah, feel free to email me, sam at agileventures.org. Or yeah, if you sign up uh, for a membership in our agileventures.org site, you'll get an invite to our Slack. And then just you know hit me up on Slack because I am, as mentioned before, a bit of an addict. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you for coming. And we'll catch everyone next week. Thanks for having me. 